funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. gentlemen welcome to the silver screen video with your host jonathan and jacob uh doing a very special top 10 list because lists are very original and we're not doing this at all because we feel like we have to jacob how are you (laughs) yeah i don't think anybody's ever really it's kind of a novel idea i don't think anybody's ever really done you know, kind of like what their favorite movies were from the previous year and kind of rank them. You know, it's something that something me and John have had kind of in the, you know, in the hopper for a while that we've been wanting to introduce. And um, I think maybe the world's ready for it. I think the world is ready for what would you say the first ever top 10 list? Or I guess maybe maybe the first two, because we both have two separate lists. It's true, and I think that people are going to hear this and copy it and, and steal from us, but that's okay because, you know what, you know, we're, we're here to help everybody right. uh, grow. Right. So, yeah. Listen, I, I, I do have to, you know, we're, I really, really wanted to do like a top five worst movies of the year. Typically, I avoid worst movie list because I like to think that artistry goes into everything and I don't like to tear down movies. But so many movies pissed me off this year. I did think about floating the idea to you. And that idea was only emboldened when Variety released their worst movies of the year. And everybody was like, oh, fuck Variety. I can't believe they did this. And it's like, finally, someone who's not just cheerleading every shitty movie that comes out. Like, <laughs> it's like, finally, someone who's just like, you know what? Thor, Love and Thunder fucking sucked. Bones and all. Yeah, it kind of sucked. Like, Sorry. They didn't go after everything, though. They didn't go after everything everywhere. So I was a little disappointed with that. Dude, I love it, man. I, are you kidding me? I love a good uh, hatchet piece or a good uh, takedown of a bad movie. Um, I would have been down with that. What would have been on your... Not, we don't, I don't, I don't want to set you off, <laughs> but like, what uh, What would have been on your bottom five? Or what would have What would have been some candidates? You got everything everywhere all at once. We got bones and all. Um, well, no. Here's the thing, though. The reason it wouldn't have been a, a, a true list is because these movies more or less just piss me off more than anything else. Like, okay. I can't tell you, like, the movie that I'm about to name is necessarily the worst movie of the year or one of them, but I can tell you it really pissed me off, and that's Nope. You know, mm, um, right? Okay. Nope, pissed me off. Everything, everywhere, all at once, pissed me off. Like. You know, it just bones and all infuriated me, you know, (laughs) Um, I don't understand any of this. And I'm going to shoot straight with you. A movie that that you liked that that at some point we're going to talk about probably because it's not in your top 10. And actually, I think it is. Never mind. Crimes of the Future would have been on on a movie that just pissed me off. I'm sorry. Mm. Like, but I understand. I understand when I say this. I I clearly this is my opinion, you know, Um, there, this is my list. There are many like it, but this one is mine. So, <laughs> wait, what is that from? Uh, Full Metal Jacket. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, recently rewatched that. That movie fucking owns, dude. Does it? So I've only seen it good. like once. I haven't really ever rewatched it. I watched it on a plane because I was like, man, I really want to watch Kubrick, and I had just rewatched a couple of other Kubrick movies. So I'm watching it on a plane 
And the part when D'Onofrio blows his brains out, like I looked around and there's like this five year old kid sitting like a like you know a row over, <laughs> and I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna skip past this scene so he doesn't witness this uh, this this really violent gory uh, suicide scene. So. Dude, uh, Full Metal Jacket on a plane is a choice. <laughs> that's that's uh, I know. Whew, that's tough, man. I don't know if I could uh, if I could take that, you know. Yeah, I, I like I said, I was just in the mood for it because I've rewatched Clockwork and a few other Kubrick movies lately, uh, The Shining as well. So I was just like, "Fuck it, man! I really want to uh, want to watch it." But anyway, um, you know, like that's it. I didn't want to like do a whole episode devoted to worst movies, and I didn't really plan on naming any of them. But uh, it's just one of those things where it's like I can appreciate art, and I'm glad that everybody, all these people, get a chance to make movies. Is something that we all love, and if you get a chance to do it, that's fantastic. But it doesn't mean we have to cheerlead everything. And I don't want to be a hater, and I don't want to be a contrarian. But sometimes an opinion falls into that category, unfortunately, or at least sounds like it does. So we didn't like everything everywhere. We're not being contrarians. We just didn't like the fucking movie. You know, so it's just like with the Green Knight last year. Like, we're not trying to be contrarians. The mo- we just thought the movie was fucking lame. And that happens. I do kind of like being a hater, though. You know this about me. Well, I know you do like it. I'm just saying I, I don't. I don't. I don't enjoy it. I don't strive to be that or really get any fun out of it. That's why, like, there's been a lot of tweets, especially with people firing back about everything everywhere that I've typed out and then deleted. Cause I'm like, you know what? I don't need to put that. <laughs> well, that, I'm just glad you're not getting this banned on Twitter. You know, it is true. I have been getting that warning a lot when I, when I used to, when I was tweeting a lot, I was getting that warning where it's like, you know, this may fall under our, uh, this may be like a guideline restriction. Are you sure you want to post this? And it's like, thanks Twitter. I appreciate you having my best interest in mind. Thanks Elon. Appreciate it, bud. Thank you. The very man who loves free speech, uh, but you're trying to get me to change my mind. So, by the way, have you seen? Have you seen? The, this is way off topic. Have you seen that fucking tunnel from in Vegas that that the the that he's doing? I have not, no. dude. It's I won't spend a lot of time on this, but it's hilarious. There's like a, it, you know, it's 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 Elon Musk's idea of like how to fix traffic or whatever, and it's basically a hole in the ground that you drive a Tesla through. It's like a really inefficient subway. And there was a TikTok video that was going around of someone like, yeah, Elon Musk's uh, Hyperloop is is now live. And it's like, you're just you're, like, there's someone driving the Tesla. Like it, it's not even self-driving. So like you basically get in a car and go through an underground tunnel and then they pop out of the tunnel at the other end and go up an escalator. And then at the end, the guy goes, see, that five-minute ride saved about a 15- or 20-minute walk. (laughs) Wow. It's like, that's it? (laughs) Are you kidding me? You dug a massive hole in the ground, and, like, you did all that to save a 15-minute walk? Are you kidding me? It's it's incredible. Hey. Between that and getting us to Mars, we're real. He's really going to revolutionize humanity. Hey, I look forward so. to it, man. Upload me to the El- to Elon Net. Upload my consciousness to Elon Net. Let's let's fucking go. You know what? I am all about my consciousness being uploaded, but I don't trust anything he's doing not to malfunction and just kill me. So, a hundred percent. Like they'll <laughs> they'll upload your consciousness to like the mainframe, and it'll be like 
it'll malfunction and it'll just be like you're burning in hell for all eternity, you know? It's like it's like, oh, a mainframe hacked by Russians. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Let's do this, man. Let, let's get into let's get into our top ten. Obviously, we'll go back and forth. We'll go from ten to one. Some of these movies we've done episodes on. We'll let you guys know uh, what episodes those are. I think it's only two of them, so it's not very many. Um, but do you want to kick it off, or do you want me to? Go for it, man. It's all you. Start us off, and uh, yeah, we'll go ten to one. Okay, I just want to say with some of these movies, like I I, I had issue ranking them. But I ended up ranking them by how much they were stuck in my brain, which is the main reason number 10 is on my list because it stayed with me and I've watched it twice and it just kind of stayed with me. And that my number 10 is Elvis. Mm, okay. Elvis was really stylish. I understand Tom Hanks and the accent, ad nauseum, whatever. Um, the movie was great. I really thoroughly enjoyed his performance. I love the stylishness of it. I'm not even a huge Boz Lerman fan, but um, I don't know, man. I liked it. There's not much there. This isn't some deep thing. This isn't like I'm in a huge Elvis fan or any of that. It's just one of those movies where it's like, I liked it. I, that, that's, how I, that's how I ended up on here. Yeah, we haven't talked about this. Um, I watched Elvis too. Um, I was I was basically just bored out of my mind for any time when there was just like a talking scene I thought the Tom Hanks performance was was tough, but I'll tell you this: that movie comes to fucking life when there is a live music scene going on. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and when I don't, I, that that is even like a uh, that's even like a weak um, way to put it. It really comes to life, like when Elvis is performing, which I mean, you know, he does pretty often throughout the movie. So I mean, it's not like it's not like I'm talking about like two or three scenes. Like there's, there's, there's a lot of good scenes of, of Elvis singing and performing. And like every single one of them is incredible. So like, I, I didn't like it enough to even, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what I would rate it, but like I was bored throughout every part of it, except for when Elvis is performing and it's electric. Like it's, it's especially the, um, the song from the trailer that he's playing at the end. God, I don't know the name of that song. I wish I could think of it. It's, uh, it, I don't know. It's incredible. The, the, the performance, the Boz Lerman, man, the man can direct a hell of a music video. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that part. And I also, it hit home for me uh, because you mentioned that I think in our blonde episode, because you were referring to how they hand, handled Elvis's death. And if you want a, yeah. uh, if you want a perfect example of of a of a nice, respectful way to handle somebody's uh, in real life's death uh, on screen, this is a great great example of it. Yeah, I liked a lot of it. I mean, I, it wasn't enough to make my top ten, but dude, there are some really incredible sequences in this movie. I just liked it because of the style, man. We've had so many movies fall flat. So many movies coming out, not just in twenty twenty two, but. But movies for the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, we have so many big movies that like, that just fall flat. They're not colorful. They're not, they don't even try to be, have any type of flavor. Yep. And I just, I understand some aspects of this movie didn't work totally. Like I, I understand that, that some parts of them, yeah, it did get a little slow. It's a very long movie. It's two and a half hours, but it had fucking style and colors and the performance from from Butler was just fantastic. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I just really, it really stayed with me. 
No, it's um, Unchained Melody was the song I was thinking of. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Unchained Melody, it's almost like the almost like the climax of the movie really kind of towards the end, like is, is, I mean, I, I, I dare anybody to not be moved by that. Like it is, it is really, really kind of incredible. Um, but no, I agree with you. I think it's a good movie and I'm glad, I'm glad it got made and I'm glad it was in the cultural conversation uh, because it is, at least it wasn't a fucking Netflix ass biopic. And at least it wasn't like the Freddie Mercury, Bohemian Rhapsody thing. You know, it was, it's a real ass movie that somebody really took a swing on, you know? Yeah. Cause that's a movie I'm still trying to like forget. So. <laughs> All right. Um, um, okay. What's your, what's your number 10? My number 10, you know, there's a director uh, named Hong Sang Su, who is kind of a, um, he, he's kind of um, drawn a lot of affection in kind of the art house film festival community very prolific he puts out sometimes two and three movies a year and uh they're very laid back kind of low effort affairs you know a lot of a lot of just people talking you know sometimes he shoots in like this kind of digital black and white and um i watched a couple of movies of his this year for the first time because i'd never seen any of them and he's one of those directors where it's tough to know where to start you know like he doesn't have an easy entry point into his filmography and so I watched a couple of his movies this year. One of them didn't do much for me, but the other one was called In Front of Your Face. And I'm, I, I don't, I'm, I won't say a lot about it. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, because just for, you know, I have not seen it. I didn't get a chance to watch it before the episode. So, yeah, don't spoil it because I am going to watch it. Yeah, this is, we should mention, we, we, we've seen the movies on each other's list except for one. There's one movie on each of our lists that we didn't uh, get a chance to watch. And this is one of them. This is the one on mine. I won't spoil it at all. Basically, a woman um, is an actress in America, and she goes back to um, South Korea um, to visit family. And there's just kind of a series of interactions. Like his movies are kind of divided into like three like conversations, basically. Like one of them over dinner, one of them um, over drinks, and one of them when just kind of walking around the city. I think it's like eighty minutes long. Really good movie. I would recommend this. I would recommend this if you're looking for an entry entryway into the the varied filmography of Hong Sang Soo. I'm looking forward to diving into more of his work, and it's a really um, a really moving uh, film. and And I think he probably more so than even um, the guy who directed Drive My Car, uh, more so than him, he 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 may deserve the title of a modern Ozu uh, stylistically. So, yeah, just shout out that movie. I really enjoyed it. It's really moving, really simple character study. You personally, John, I, I think you would like this movie. I just hope we got another drive my car situation because I, I didn't get a chance to watch that movie. That was on your list. It wasn't available when it came out anyway. And then, then I finally watched it and it blew my fucking mind. Yeah. So I, I would recommend this movie definitely to anybody who if drive, drive my car if you liked it or. Um, or, or the phrase modern Ozu sounds good to you. Yeah. It, it's, it's a really good movie. It's like 80 minutes long. There's not much to it. It's kind of a little wisp of a movie, but yeah, really moving, really, really genuinely moving and kind of sad. So anyways, yeah, that's my number 10. I, I won't talk too much more about it. It's called in front of your face. I don't even know if I mentioned the title. Um, yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah. In front of, yeah, in, front in front of, of your, your face. face. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to say it again. So, okay. My number nine is actually one we've already talked about, and it's also higher up on your list, so there's not really a reason to stay on it too much, but it's Hustle. Hmm. And 
For those of you that want us to hear talk more about it, check out episode 135 because we actually do get into detail about it pretty good. It's a, it's a Netflix movie. Something else that surprised me this year, I think I have three or four Netflix movies on my list, which is really surprising, um, including I also have two blockbusters, which is a rarity. Anyway, Hustles and Adam Sandler basketball movie, really fucking good. Mm -hmm. Like a good drama. Sandler was fantastic in it. I did not expect to love it as much as I did. But that's like I said, it's higher up on your list and we've already done an episode on it. But that's my number nine. Yeah, no need to address it. It's my number four. Um, It was a really, um, yeah, it really, I mean, this is like, I think it can lay claim to being one of the top 10 best sports movies of all time already great Sandler performance. It's just, it's so entertaining and so fun. And like, honestly, like most, like, and I'm guilty of this too. You know, you kind of put the default art house movies and you know, whatever. But like, for me, this was man hustle is, it's just so entertaining and so fun. Sandler is great. I'm a big NBA fan. So I'm sure that, um, that brought it all the way up to my list. So yeah, it's my number four. I, I loved it. I loved it so much. Uh, and yeah, I've got three Netflix movies on my list too, but, um, it's crazy, man. You know, sometimes you can't you can't deny it. And, and that's one of those times where it's like, just like with the Irishman, like I fucking hate what streaming has done to cinema. But I also appreciate the fact that some of these movies wouldn't have gotten made without that money. So, it's a double edged sword. You know, it is. It is. Um, OK, my number nine is I don't think we've actually talked about this on the pod. Um, Crimes of the future. The we have it. We I briefly mentioned it uh, when I first went and saw it in theaters months ago. It, it didn't even make an episode title. I said I went and saw the new Cronenberg. I was very disappointed with it. You were surprised. And then it finally came out and you had a chance to watch it. So the only thing we've talked about on the podcast is is me saying I didn't like it. Yeah, I mean, um, you want to talk a little bit about why you didn't like it? Because, yeah, I mean, we, this will probably be the only time we really talk about it on the podcast. I mean, I just, it just wasn't for me. And I, and I will tell you, Jacob and I have, have had conversations about this off pod. And I think it was, I think it was really, I went in with these high expectations of this new Cronenberg, mm. the body horrors back. It almost got an NC-17 rating. They really pushed the envelope. And then it really fell flat. The world fell, fell flat for me. I thought it was missing a lot of style. I didn't really care for the story. A lot of it was convoluted. Uh, it just, it, I don't know. It just didn't really have that Cronenberg feel to me. And, um, you know, there were no, there were some notes I kind of liked, like it hit a bit, a little bit on the environment and what we're doing and, and why we should, you know, obviously think about trying to make some changes, but that's about it. I just, it, it really fell flat for me. So. Yeah. I mean, my, my expectations were tempered a little bit because you didn't like it. Um, but, but I, 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 I loved it. I mean, it you know, it didn't make it any higher on my top 10 list, um, simply because, you know, vibes, uh, the vibes for Cronenberg movies are always off, even if they're good movies, but yeah, I mean, I liked crimes of the future. I mean, it's very man. Some of the performances are very mannered, you know, especially Vigo and, uh, Kristen Stewart, uh, you know, Kristen Stewart, the, the, the very mannered performances, um, which is something that a lot of late period, um, uh, directors later in their career late later in their careers they um often rely on you know lynch is, is a great example and um uh obviously clint eastwood may be the the best example of that but i i loved it you know i thought it was i thought it it, it was exactly what i thought it was going to be cronenberg kind of creates this 
bizarre dystopia you know it was filmed in kind of like the the docks of athens you know for budgetary reasons and you know i think some of it falls flat you know i think there's a lot of there's a lot of um you know kind of uh meditations on art and what art means and you know i I like the idea of kind of um the performance artist is now the the hot new artist you know what i mean like that was that was really interesting but also the the evolution of the human being you know like evolving and changing with um you know a kind of inorganic uh world um i liked it it did what it said on the tin also i liked how it was a noir it was very very noir influenced um and with Vigo talking to the cop and being kind of an informant and, you know, Vigo is interesting because they set him up as this kind of like, you know, big celebrity, but he's kind of a, he's kind of almost like a stooge almost in, in a, in a classic film noir hero kind of way, you know? And I, I don't know. I really liked it. Really all the elements of the movie really worked for me. You know, the real only reason it's not higher on my list is because like I said, you know, vibes are, are a very strong indicator for me. <laughs> and it's like the vibes are off in this one, to say the least. I liked it, you know, plus, you know, any movie where we get to see uh, Leah Sidhu's, um, you know, topless is is going to make my top 10 list, you know, and, okay, that's, and that's a lot of movies. The breaks, the pal. All right. What's your number nine? Num- number eight. Oh, my bad. Uh, num- my, my number eight. You didn't care for it all and actually said you were bored for most of it. Mm. Um. And it's really weird. It made my list, but it did. The motherfucking Batman. Mm, right. I love this movie so much. I've seen this movie four times. I love the world. I love the Fincher influence. I loved all the cinematography. I love the way they shot it. I do, I do admit it went on a little too long, but it didn't matter because I fucking loved it. Everything about it. Pattinson was great. I loved everything. Like there was not a problem I had with this movie, except for maybe it was like 20 minutes too long, 30 minutes too long. Yeah. I mean, we talked about, did we, did we talk about this on the pod? Uh, I, I, I watched it and I think you hadn't watched it at the time. Cause I wanted the theaters to see it. And then you watched it on HBO max. You could have said you didn't like it. I don't remember, but we have not spent any time on it. I just know in our conversations, you said it was boring. Like you just, you didn't care for it. Um, I actually did go to the theaters and see this, by the way. Um, oh, you did? Yeah. I don't remember that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't hate it. You know, it just, and I, I like Batman and I, I do like division of the world. I like Colin Farrell. Pattinson was fine. Um, he seemed like he was sleepwalking through most of it, which is, is a fine way to play Batman. Honestly, like it's, you know, it was, um, a Zoe Kravitz, big Zoe Kravitz fan. I thought her and Cat Harris Catwoman was great. And I, I did like the vibe and some of the art direction stuff. My my main complaint is just the length. I mean, there are there are some interminable scenes of just Batman walking places and um, no 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 we're not cutting any of those. Right. <laughs> right. I want I want to see Batman walking everywhere in that badass suit. Okay, we can cut other shit, but we're not cutting any of that. I want it more of that. I want it more of Batman walking around in the rain. Or lurking in the shadows. Well, oh, t- it was so fucking awesome. I'll tell you this: if 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 you're listening to this and you agree with that, boy, do I have a movie for you. If you if you if you want to watch Batman essentially do nothing but walk around and stand places, um, this will be your favorite movie of all time. Um, I, I thought it was fine. I really didn't have any major complaints about it. And if it was two hours long, I probably would have liked it a lot more. But who boy, you know. Um, 
I don't know. More power. I'm glad you like this. Is one of those movies where I'm like, well, I'm glad you really liked it. I'm glad because uh, it's always fun when a blockbuster hits home. You know, yeah, and Batman's one of the few that can do it because there's so many different ways to do it and make it not generic. Um, unlike unlike the machine that just spits out the Marvel movies, and I'm not just taking a shot at Marvel. They have a formula mm-hmm. that works for them clearly. So, you know, so but but with Batman, you don't really have to stick that formula. They kind of let Reeves do his own thing. You know, my my biggest two complaints would be it was a little too long and we don't need the introduction of another Joker, in my opinion, as much as I love Barry Keoghan. We just didn't need that. Oh, right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, Yeah, I mean, it is, it's always fun when a blockbuster works for you, you know, um, actually, that's even talking about it. It's like, man, maybe I'll turn it on again. Um, Now I want to watch it again. There's another movie I want to watch again, too, that we were talking about the other day that I'm like, I have to watch this again, like within the next week. Wait, what was that? We'll get to it. It's on my list. Okay. Um, Okay. What's your, uh, what's your number eight? Cause it's actually higher on my list. Uh, my number eight. Mm-hmm. No, you're my, my number eight's not on your list. My number eight is. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. You sent me the wrong, you sent me a weird list. That's one off. So it's throwing all my numbers off. Yeah. No, my, my number eight is the eternal daughter, a movie that you also watched. Um, this is a movie, um, with, uh, Tilda Swinton and this is a, this is a heavy, heavy vibes movie. Okay, well, let me tell you why I liked it, and then I want to get this perspective from you, because this is interesting to me. Um, so The Eternal Daughter is basically about a woman who goes to um, kind of an ancestral house, uh, like an old uh, house in the British countryside that is now a hotel, but it used to be kind of like, I guess, family property, like back in World War II and stuff. And Tilda Swinton is going with her mother, and she plays her own mother, which is a really sounds like a gimmick, but it's actually really um, I don't know. It's really well done. And this is a real actor's movie. This is a real and, and Tilda Swinton doesn't act a lot in this. You know, what I mean, like, it's not like some kind of big, overwhelming, melodramatic thing, but it's uh, it, she gives a couple of really subtle performances in this movie. And I really kind of an actor showcase. I really, really like that aspect of it. And especially because like. Tilda Swinton has been up to some Johnny Depp nonsense lately. Like she's been, you know, dressed up as a Chinese man in the Marvel movies. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, you know, she always uh, gets like, um, kitted out in some kind of grand, like makeup thing for, you know, every Wes Anderson movie. And it's like, no, she's like a really, a really talented actor. And like, it's, it's nice to just kind of see that just on display. Um, but she goes basically on this kind of vacation with her mom. And, and then like, I don't even know how to explain it. Cause I don't even really know what happens. Like it's kind of, it's revealed at some point that it's kind of imagined and that it's, um, that maybe this is a trip, uh, of hers where she is going to be like writing a, a script, um, based on her experience there with her mom. And there's kind of like, is it imaginary? Did it happen in the past? There's kind of like a, an open question of what exactly what exactly happens, you know, like what the actual plot of the movie is. I, I, I just like the vibes. I thought hanging out at that hotel, I mean, not to say that they were good vibes, but it's kind of creepy. It's kind of like a creepy old hotel and there's a dog. And I really like the idea of her kind of going into this um, geographical location and kind of communing with the spirit of her dead mother and coming out of it with, uh, a work of art basically 
this is this is something that is personal to me and what I experienced this year. My mother died this year. Um, well, not this year, but last year, 20, um, 2022. And so, and, and I was at kind of exiled in, in, in her trailer in Kentucky for a, a period of months. And so it, it, the movie kind of hit home for me a little bit because it was just, it was just kind of refreshing to see this, her go through this kind of not a great experience, but maybe a creatively meaningful one. And yeah. Yeah, now that I'm talking about it, maybe it should have been a little bit higher on my list, but I, I really liked it. So yeah, I don't know. What about you? I didn't. I didn't dislike it. It just wasn't for me. There were some things on it that really. I, I sometimes I would like struggle to grasp what was going on, and other times I would think I had it figured out, but then I would think, no, that's wrong. Like that's not the way. But there was some really powerful stuff in it, and she did a great job. Mm. I agree. the The casting wasn't gimmicky. Right. I think it. I think it really worked. But it's just not for me. But I do think it's interesting that this is more of a personal choice for you. And there's a movie on my list that was very personal. Hmm. That that like with the way it made me feel and things like that. That sometimes it's really hard for like someone else to feel that. You know what I mean? Because it's like something oh, that yeah. this you're you're reacting to this work of art in a very specific way. And I and I totally understand that. It just wasn't one that that I that I really liked enough to put on here. Yeah, hundred percent. And I like, I get it. Like, I can see somebody, like, I can see me watching this movie and being like, "Oh yeah, I liked it," but it didn't. But but you know, because of my own just personal situation, it really, it really, it really hit home. And I'm like I said, I now I'm now kind of thinking I should have put it higher. But um, yeah, I really liked it. But yeah, anyways, we can move on. And and it is one of those movies where it's like a puzzle box movie that is impossible to figure out. And I kind of admire that. You know what I mean? Like, you never really it's a tough act to pull off and you never really know what's going on, but that, that worked for me. I don't know. Uh, also, and I think, uh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say Joanna hog. This is the third movie in a kind of trilogy, the souvenir, the souvenir part two and, uh, the eternal daughter. This is like the third movie in that kind of trilogy. Um, I've never seen the souvenir part two, so maybe there's something I'm missing about this movie, but it still works for me. (laughs) So, Well, I think that's the beauty of the movie. I do think sometimes when it's like, oh, I can't really wrap my head around this. It's like, well, no, that's like they're being intentional. Like they're they're like just trying to make something that's, you know, hard to figure out. But really, it's nonsense. Right, right, right. But with this movie, it wasn't like that. Like, it's like, no, like you, you will come to your own conclusions and maybe they're right and maybe they're wrong. But like that this is how I did it. And it, and it works. It just does. Right. It's like the difference between say like Tenet and last year at Marion Bod. Like one of those movies is, you know, is, uh, or both of those movies are inscrutable, but for completely different reasons, you know, but anyways, yeah. So what was your, what was your number seven? My number seven, uh, another Netflix movie, Athena. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, this is a prime. There's two things I learned from this. Two things I took away from this movie a prime example of style over substance and the police are always right. So <laughs> that's what I um, think. <laughs> uh, no, this movie, dude, it, I do think it's style over substance, but I also think that, okay, he tried to do a lot with an hour and 35 minutes. That was a mistake because you couldn't do everything you wanted to do with this message and these characters in an hour and a half. It's mm. all, there, there's a lot of long takes. The first 10 minutes is probably my favorite scene of 2022. Like by far, I think it was beautiful. 
I think everything, it was like a shot of fucking adrenaline. There's always some shit getting shot off, fireworks and beanbag guns. And they're, they're trying to lock this apartment complex down and they have all these plans and it's all chaos. And the message of police brutality and rising up against authoritarianism and things, all that's correct. Like, like you, like the revolution that they're starting because of this young, uh, this just, just boy being beaten to death by the police, which we found out later it wasn't, but that's here and we're there. Like all that shit feels justified in the moment because police brutality, unfortunately is a real thing, not just in our country, but in a lot of countries. And I think the movie struggled to really get that message across, but it also struggled to make me feel really fulfilled about the storyline with the four brothers. Mm. But it was still fucking good enough to overcome that. Right. It was still riveting and stylish enough to be like, you know what? I don't care that some of these moments weren't earned because he just beat this dude to death out of nowhere. And that was amazing. Right. So I just, there were certain things that just really worked. So I'm not going to say this is the perfect movie. I'm not going to say that the message was clear. It was very ambitious and and it was very good looking which I cannot stress enough. This is one of the better looking Netflix movies I've ever seen. Yeah. I also think there's a key difference between this Netflix movie and another Netflix movie on your list, which I won't mention it because I don't, you know, I won't spoil it, but the key difference is uh, Netflix bought this movie and they produced the other one. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Big difference there. <laughs> Big difference. There. Agreed. Because th- th- yeah. this thing was made, uh, you know, with without any interest from Netflix, and then they they saw it and bought it. So I watched this movie yesterday. Actually, um, it'd been on my radar. I mean, Coast. I actually think. Do you remember I sent you the trailer for this like six months ago? Oh, I thought I sent you the trailer because I was super pumped about it. No, I, no I sent you the trailer and I was like, Costa Gravis' son made this movie, and you were like, Holy shit, that looks awesome. Um, Okay. Either way, yeah. So that makes sense. It, I I knew I found out about it either through that or either through you or through Twitter or something. But yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I don't know. It, it is style over substance. But I mean, what style? You know, I mean, what incredible style? You know, I mean, who cares? Like, it. Um, I loved it. It was basically like uh, he directed um, the music video for Kanye West and Jay Z's uh, No Church in the Wild, uh, which is almost like a proof of concept for this movie. And basically extends the extends that the content of that music video into like, you know, an hour and a half long movie. Um, yeah, it's style over substance. But I mean, who, who gives a shit? It's, it's the, the style is incredible. This guy is this has clearly been gestating in this guy's brain for a very long time. And it's um, it's great. I really enjoyed it. You know, I don't know. In another world, maybe this makes my top 10. Maybe it should have. Um, but but yeah. Well, there's there's a there's a 37 minute making up documentary. I urge you and the listeners to check out because talk about trying to pull off some of those shots. Mm. It is really fucking cool to see that. If anybody has any interest in behind the scenes stuff, I I I highly recommend you check it out. Okay, that's cool. That's good to know. Yeah, I I really like this movie style like like style over substance. But I mean like. the substance is still there. You know what I mean? It's just not the ending. I think the ending took a little bit of the air out of the movie for me. Um, Agreed. I agree with that. The ending was just kind of, I was so taken by it, but still the ending was just like, this feels weird. It it was kind of like, 
it, it was kind of like a Shutter Island, uh, where it's just like there's one twist too many. You know what I mean? Like one, like like if they had just left it, you know, without trying to do kind of a little, I don't know. I won't say more because obviously people haven't seen it. Um, well, yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but I just loved it when they were like, "He's gone insane!" Like right. he's just going around just methodically doing this shit and it's like no this guy's gone he's checked out (laughs) you need to get the fuck away (laughs) right right um yeah good movie i don't have a lot to say about it good movie i really enjoyed it i can see why you like it and i understand why people like it um yeah it's uh kind of a stressful watch gotta be real but in a good way yeah good movie oh so stressful like dude it kind of reminded me not as stressful, clearly, but it did remind me of like an uncut gems type of anxiety. Dude, I think we're starting to see the kind of cinematic effects of uh, of uncut gems, which we'll get to more um, more later. But but yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And that opening shot. I mean, what was it? Ten minutes, eleven minutes? I mean, dude, eleven uh, an eleven minute one take move, and we're not talking about in a room or like across a hallway. We're talking about moving yeah. locations. In a in a vehicle, yeah, and not just, not in a gimmicky beautiful. way either. In like a this is awesome. I'm on a roller coaster type way. Um, yeah, like the chaos inside, the chaos outside, the chaos from a little bit away, the chaos from in front, the chaos from all around. Yep. Just beautiful filmmaking. Yeah, it reminded me of that scene in what's the name of that movie with Chris Hemsworth with the long take in it. Um. Oh yeah, I never watched it. Extraction. Extraction, right? Which so- sounds like faint praise, but I actually, I, I, I thought that, I, I thought that long take went hard as fuck, man. That was like, that's 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 really cool. Um, you never watched? Yeah, movie? I need to watch it. It's on my list. It's on my oh, list. Oh, dude, the, the long take in that is like it's like the beginning of this movie, but with a with a bigger budget. Oh, nice. Okay. But anyways, yeah, I guess I, so. My, my number seven is next, but it's higher on your list. Mine's The Northman, and we've talked about it. Yeah, we talked about it. For those of you that want to check it out, episode 133, uh, it is higher on my list. But yeah, we did a whole episode on it. We both fucking loved it. I mean, you know, it's 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 fucking awesome. Great action. Uh, you know, it was just, what is there left to say about it? We yeah, just, not a lot really left to say. It. I mean, it's a, it's a fucking great movie, and obviously it was higher on your list. How high is it on your list? Uh, it is my number three. Okay. Yeah. So, I, and what's funny is before, like three months ago, it was my number one. But then I happened to see two movies that broke my brain, and and it got knocked down to number three. Right. So. Yeah. It's a it's a great movie. I mean, obviously, I'm not I'm never gonna like a movie like this as much as you will because obviously you're a big Viking fan. But I mean, it, it, you you can't you can't fuck with this movie. You know, it's 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 great. It's so well done. The action is incredible. Um, yeah, great movie. No, no, nothing left to say about the Northman. What's your number six? So, uh, Clerks Three. Hmm. This is a movie. I, I, I'm not. I'm not here to defend Kevin Smith, or I'm not here to defend why this is on my list because you know it's my list, whatever. But I, I watched Clerks uh, when I was a kid, and I watched Clerks Two when it came out. So I think when you when you have that that period of time that that sits in between Clerks Two and Three, where you've gotten older and life has moved along and and like, you know, there are things that we all, you know, everybody struggles with something different, but we all get older and, and things never stop moving forward. And, and I, Clerks 3 was fantastic. I mean, it, it was, I went, so I had, I, thankfully I got to see it in movie theaters. It was only in, in theaters for like a week, but I, I thought it was Kevin Smith uh, at his best. I do think this is one of his, one of his best movies. 
I think it was a real reflection for him. Uh, he did almost die of a heart attack a few years ago. And uh, you can tell that in this movie. So really not much to say. I have not seen this on anybody else's top 10. I do not think this was a very beloved movie when it came out. But this movie, you know, just like with with The Eternal Daughter for You, it kind of struck something. Uh, and I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. You know, I'm not a Kevin Smith apologizer. I'm an apologist. I am just a huge Kevin Smith fan. So, yeah, I this is the one movie that I didn't watch, and and frankly, it 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 um, um it it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been the same. I mean, because I I've never seen Clerks two, so I like would have been watching two and three back to back, and it just would have like the impact would have just not been there. But yeah, no, I uh, respectable choice. I know you've been a Kevin Smith fan um for for a long time. I I'm, I haven't even seen that many Kevin Smith movies, so I can't even really. You know, this is this is one for you and all the Kevin Smith heads out there. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, I mean, I'm clearly glad, I know is. you were looking forward to it, so I'm glad the plane landed. Like, I'm glad you enjoyed it a lot. All right. So my number six was uh, a little little Steven Soderbergh joint uh, that came out at the beginning of the year. Another Netflix movie. Wait, is this a Netflix movie? Uh, HBO Max. HBO Max. OK, I was wrong. I was, so I only have two Netflix movies. Uh, Kimmy, the Steven Soderbergh, uh, Zoe Kravitz. Um Soderbergh is so dependable, man. And honestly, I, I really admire that about a filmmaker. Like I admire the fact that I can, I can see Soderbergh's name on it and I can be like, this will be a fun genre movie. You know, I mean, you can't say that a lot about a lot of directors, you know, everybody's busy doing their masterpieces and Soderbergh is just cranking out really watchable movies. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really like this movie. I really like Zoe Kravitz, as I mentioned, uh, but I also the it's really it's a covid, you know, thriller, which I kind of like. I also like, uh, you know, she's she's scared to leave her apartment, you know, and this <laughs> this hits home from my experience during covid. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I there's really not much to say about it. Um, it's a fun thriller that it, it's a fun thriller that takes place during covid and doesn't make you want to roll your eyes, you know, so far back into your head that you're permanently blind, you know, like it addresses the pandemic in a, a normal way, you know? And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to get on too different train of thought, but somebody mentioned how there hasn't been a lot of art made about the pandemic and because people want to forget about it and people don't want to, don't want to see it in their art, you know, and this actually mirrors something, um, Back in 19, I think 18, there was a huge uh, pandemic and there's almost no culture about it. There's no books written. There's no short stories written. There's no songs. There's no that even reference this pandemic. And now it's easy to understand why, because people just wanted to forget about it and move on with their lives, you know? So as a result, we have very few, a very few number of, of pandemic or COVID related works of art. Um, and I think Kimmy might is one of the best ones might be one of the better ones and might be one of the might be one of the best documents that we have of like what life was like under COVID, you know, aside from people's, you know, TikTok videos or social media posts or whatever. But yeah, I like I, I like Kimmy a lot. I thought it was I thought it was great. I thought it was enjoyable. Um, I related to her a lot. Fun thriller. Zoe Kravitz, you know, what more needs to be said? Uh, you watch this. What do you think about it? Yeah, I really. Really enjoyed it. I thought, you know, like you said about uh, Soderbergh goes for me too. Really enjoyed it. Thought he was on point, you know, very, very tight editing, 
you know, very tight runtime. He he doesn't give you too much. He doesn't really give a shit about contemplating aftermath. He just gives you what it is. Mm-hmm. You see the people get arrested. Story's over. There's no reason to make this movie two hours and show us how she deals with stuff after the fact, because that is irrelevant to the story at its core. Soderbergh recognizes that, and that's why, you know, honestly, he's one of the greatest American filmmakers, period. Yeah, so. I mean, it's... He he didn't miss, you know. The man doesn't miss. So yeah, shout out to Soderbergh. Kimmy's good. You probably already seen it, you know, uh, dear listener. If you know that it exists, you probably already seen it. So uh, yeah, Kimmy's good. All right, what's your number five? My number five is another Netflix movie, All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm. And I really just have two things to say about this movie. It is as close to being anti-war while showing war. That I've ever seen because we we both have talked about this. Anybody who's into movies and, and all that in a deep way understands that if it's on camera, there's really no denying the glorification of whatever it is. Mm. But with this movie, I thought they it was so fucking bleak, but also like it was it 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 did not pull any punches. The absurdity of war, the absurdity of of these rich pieces of shit that are sitting in their castles while young men die on the field in brutal ways or freezing their ass off in camp while they don't have any food. Um, and it was, the second thing is it's so reminiscent of 1917. You can tell they pulled a lot of lighting from that movie about how they wanted to do certain things. And I thought they nailed it. You can't escape the Netflix ism of some of this movie. I mentioned that briefly when we were talking about everything everywhere and glass onion, it still looks like a Netflix movie at some parts, but I think it sets itself up enough to be a bit unique. I thought it was a wonderful remake. It's not getting nearly enough attention, in my opinion. I don't expect you to like it, honestly, because I don't even think you ever watched 1917. But I'm a big fan of World War One movies because they're so rare, especially World War One movies that have a message, um, you know, about but what what it's trying to do. But at the end of the day, it's a war movie. At the end of the day, there's violence, there's guns, there's people stabbing each other in trenches, and you can't escape. If you show it on some level, you are saying, hey, look at this. Look at look at this. Look at look at how this is. You may not be saying it's cool, but you're saying something. So Yeah, you know, I like that. Um yeah, I like that kind of intro of, you know, the like like you said about the war movie. And um I always think of Apocalypse Now, where Francis Ford Coppola is like I'm making a movie about how war is hell. And it's like, yeah, well just try not to get your dick hard during the ride of the Valkyrie scene, you know, like, (laughs) like, you know, like if that's not pro war, I don't know what is. Um, But, you know, you know, my, my tolerance for this is, is very low. I've got to be honest with you. Um, I, I didn't like it a lot. I mean, the, the visuals, you know, I never saw 1917, which I, I, I really should just because of the deacons of it all. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I just it, visually it didn't it didn't move me. And I, I, I agree with you. It is kind of like war as hell. But in kind of like a, in kind of like a poverty porn or like a torture porn kind of way, you know, it was just like it was too much and it was overwhelming. And there, 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 there are movies like that. That's a, that's a pretty distinct difference between us is that like, I feel like you're a little bit more open to accepting the movie on its own terms where like, I really, really can get like 
you know, where I'm drinking the haterade and I'm just like, come on. You know what I mean? Like I can, like I can get like I can get like kicked out of uh, the world of the movie and be like, all right, this is a little bit much, isn't it? You know, which I'm not. It's not a good thing necessarily, but that that's kind of how I felt with this movie. I was just like, you know, I, uh, yeah, it's war is bad, and like, it's just not for me. The war movies that I like are like Grand Illusion, you know, where it's less about how war is hell and more about uh guys just being dudes and trying to make the best of it you know um which this movie i feel like didn't have a lot of which is fine that's not the kind of movie it is it's not you know not a howard hawks movie but like just not for me man you know this kind of movie i'm just like yeah i get it war war sucks and it's tough and it's just uh, i'm i don't really want to watch this anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah i get it i mean it's it's definitely not one of those not one of those movies that everybody's going to like or, or cause some people just hate war movies and I, right. and I can't, right. I cannot disagree with them. I'm not going to be like, well, no, you should appreciate this and that. It's like, no, like if you don't like war movies. You don't like war movies and you shouldn't fucking watch them. Obviously. Uh, I just, I, I really liked this, but there was something about this movie. It was just, it was really fucking good to me. I get, I get why you like it. And I also understand how under certain, you know, maybe if I'd seen this in the theater or whatever, I would think it was kind of powerful or whatever, but I was just kind of like, I don't know. I was just the fact that it was on Netflix and I was just, I was just kind of exhausted by the whole thing. But um, yeah, this is, this might be a good dividing point. Uh, our listeners out there, you know, they're either going to be uh, John fans or Jacob fans, uh, depending on, I think where they like, what where they where, what they decide about this movie, honestly. Yeah. I you know this, this is another movie where, where I, I was like, fuck, I wish I could have watched this in movie theaters, right. you know? That would have been just so awesome. This and Athena, like Athena, especially, I would love to have seen right. on the big screen. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else about Athena that I forgot to bring up while I'm on the topic of wanting to watch it in theaters. The fucking score, dude. The score in Athena was so good. Mm. I don't know if you paid attention to it that much, but uh, oh, I watched it on anyway. mute actually. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, technically, you could because it's subtitled. Uh, you know what really burns my soul, a, a deep, like a hole in my soul, I should say, is knowing there's an option on Netflix for anything foreign to make it dubbed. Right, so right. it's like you dub. So it's like they're speaking English and the words don't match. And it makes me feel like I'm watching Godzilla, you know, from 1956, like re- dubbed over like it's fucking awful. Well, what's interesting about that is have you have you heard about the RRR? Um controversy i have not and actually it's, it's funny rrr didn't make either of our list and uh you watched it and i have it but i'm going to at some point i've heard it's epic well i'm glad it didn't make your list if you haven't watched it <laughs> well yeah i'm just saying uh you know it almost made your list but then you, it got knocked off yeah um but not which i liked it fine enough um you know it's, it's fun um but the rrr thing was the the original language of the movie is like a dialect of Hindi, I don't know, I'm going to get the languages wrong, but it's like in a dialect that, you know, is like, is like, you know, standard language and you, you think watching subtitles or whatever, but then they dubbed it into like a more mainstream uh, Indian dialect. And that's the version that's streaming on Netflix. So the version streaming on Netflix is a dubbed version of the movie, but it's dubbed into a different language. That's not English. And so then you have you're watching subtitles 
on a movie that is also dubbed. It's really kind of disorienting. It's like Inception of dubbing. Dubception, one might even say. Yeah, Dubception. That's good. Uh, anyway, yeah, that, that's interesting. I did not know that, obviously. Uh, hopefully it won't be a problem watching the movie. Like, I'm sure since I don't speak either language, I won't notice. So it's you'll notice it a little bit because they they are, they dub some of the like it's like the the English actors are speaking a different language. I don't know. It's yeah, whatever. It's it's a whole side conversation. And there's like a there's like a thing of like, can we just please can can some like us in the West or Americans like can we just see the original version of this fucking movie? You know, that's that's a big uh, distribution uh, thing right now. But anyways, okay. What is your what is your number five? All right, my number five is a movie that is kind of uncharacteristic for me. I'm not, um, I don't know, I'm not a huge animation fan, but it's uh, Richard Linklater's Apollo Ten and a Half, uh, which is another Netflix movie. Um, this the list is basically sponsored by Netflix at this point. It's, uh, you know, I really like this movie. This this is a movie that is just so. Well, to tell you what it's about, it's it's basically kind of almost like a children's story of a kid. It's an animated movie about a kid who uh, gets picked to go on a space mission, I guess, um, and to go to the moon. I don't know. That, that part of the movie is not – it was kind of unclear to me, and I didn't know if it was fantasy or not. But the, the meat and potatoes of the movie is like a kind of like um, – I don't know, an hour long like interlude between like, say, minute five and like minute 105 or whatever, you know, uh, or an hour and five minutes, you know, and it's this. It's just this meditation on what life was like in the late 60s as a kid in Austin, Texas. And to say that this was a charmed lifestyle doesn't even begin to describe it like it is perpetually July kids on bikes uh playing outdoors i mean just um just this paradise this this childhood paradise of yeah of just this perpetual summer and and being outdoors and playing in the grass and like if if you didn't have a childhood like this it makes you feel like you did almost I don't know. What am I missing about this movie? I feel like I'm not doing a very good job of articulating it. It's, it's just, it's so nostalgic and so warm and so um, just kind of narratively barely there. Like it's barely a story. It's just kind of this beautiful animated dream childhood world that is as far away from modern reality uh, it might as well be a fantasy. It might as well be fucking Game of Thrones, right? Like, I mean, it is uh, no, this is goes without saying, but not a phone in sight, no internet, no, you know, they go to the movies and they go to the swimming, like they go swimming and they go to like an amusement park called Astro World. And it's just, um, it, it's just paradise is what it is, what it is, what it is it, like. Um, I don't know. You watch this movie. What are your thoughts? Well, first I'll say every every time you get on the internet, there's a chance that humanity can can do more to disappoint you. And they've <laughs> right. done it again. Because after I watched this movie, I was looking up some things about it, reading a little bit about it, and I noticed one of the most searched question was, is it based on a true story? <laughs> and it's like, yes, 
Yes, to all of you people that Googled it, NASA actually did build a spacecraft too small that only a child would fit, and then they randomly recruited one from an elementary school. <laughs> that is true. Anyway, I greatly enjoyed the movie. I thought it was fantastic. I agree with everything you said. I think that it makes you long for a time that neither of us ever existed in. Mm -hmm. It makes us nostalgic for a period that we don't know anything about outside of of, of videos we've seen in movies. And I also thought it was very special from the idea that this is finally a movie, which are few and far between, where we can enjoy and embrace this time period without it being fantasy-based or without it being, um, and by fantasy, I mean like a Stranger Things uh, situation or a right. serial killer situation or like Stand By Me. Like there was this, there was something haunting over the entire movie of Stand By Me, which was the point. But I'm saying we finally get a period piece of a certain time in history that I find very fascinating where it's just lighthearted. It's just a lighthearted, pleasant affair where you're hanging out in this world where everything is different. And one can make the argument kind of better. Uh, but that's a slippery slope when you start looking at different times of history because it affects people of all you know, obviously people of all genders and races and everything are affected differently. So you have to stay in a bubble if you're going to be like, yeah, 1970 was all right. right. Um, but either way, for that fantasy based element, it was it was great. I really I thoroughly enjoyed it. No, I th which is why this is a movie only Linklater could have made. You know, th there's no it, like a Linklater. Richard Linklater is so underrated uh, when it comes to the experiments that he does with narrative, you know, he doesn't get enough credit for being as narratively experimental as he is. And th this is a perfect example of that in the sense that you're right. There's no looming darkness on the horizon. There's no, this is stranger things or super eight or hey, look at this beautiful nostalgic world. And there's a monster in it or whatever, you know, it's like, it's like, no, no, no. This is literally just a slice of beautiful animated life. That yeah, it's it's. I mean, I don't know. I, I, you know, if you if you're if you're nostalgic, if you're nostalgic, my favorite TV show of all time is Mad Men. You know, I, I, I am nostalgic for like mid century America, and you know, obviously with acknowledging all of the you know problems um, that were associated with it. But if you're the type of person who is nostalgic in any way, you know, like my favorite TV show of all time is Mad Men. And, you know, I love mid-century America, you know, obviously, you know, acknowledging it had a lot of problems, but like, if you're nostalgic in any way, like this is a movie for you, it, it may seem like a minor work and it is, it is a minor work, but that's part of the reason why I loved it so much. It's not even, not even terribly ambitious. It's just, um, it's just a really beautiful slice of life. That's like, I think it's like 80 minutes long or something, you know, I loved it. Vibes off the charts, obviously. So yeah, that was my number five. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, I like and it's on Netflix, guys. So if you want to watch it, you know, just go stream it. It's definitely worth checking out. It didn't get a lot of attention. Like I, I this movie has been out since July and I hadn't even heard about it until I noticed it on some people's um, end of the year lists. And so, uh, yeah, I feel like it didn't get a lot of attention, but hopefully hopefully the list, the end of the year list has brought it, you know, the attention it deserves. Um, but anyways, what, well, what was your number four? It's funny you say that because my number four is a movie that got all the attention that it deserved and then some. Top Gun. 
This movie could have been number one on my list based solely on the fact that it was the most fun I've had in a theater in forever. I can't remember the last time I had this much fun in a movie theater. I was blown away that this movie was not just good, but great. Tom Cruise always delivers. This movie was made in a fucking lab using some sort of fucking algorithm to, to create a movie that everyone's going to love. And normally I would hate that, but in this particular case, like it works, it works on every possible level. Mm. And I, I, there's nothing to say about this movie. It's a very simple movie. If you're listening, odds are you've seen it, Uh, but it's great. I mean, it's Tom Cruise helped get people back in the movie theaters. Like it was just a fun movie. If I had listened to you (laughs) and saw this when it came out in summer, I think I would have had a similar reaction and loved it and enjoyed it and whatever. But I, I actually watched it at the end of the year um, a couple of weeks ago and it just, it, you know, didn't hit home nearly as much because I wasn't in a movie theater and, you know, not seeing it in summer in a movie theater, like it just, the, the mechanisms were of, of, of trying to hit that pleasure center were a little bit more obvious, you know, like it was, I felt like I was being beaten into submission like, look, Tom Cruise is putting on the jacket. Now he's on a motorcycle. Look, Jennifer Connelly. Now he's flirting with her. Isn't this cool? You know, and 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 like it was just here's a volleyball scene. Don't you like this? Like it was just so, so it, it felt kind of ingratiating. Um, that being said, it did win me over completely. Like it did. Like eventually, right? I think I texted you at the time, and I was like, I, like I think I texted you in the middle of the movie, and I was like, Jesus, this movie is like. It's trying really hard to win me over it, but you know what? It does at the end. Like, it, like I really did like this movie. It's just, I, I think I saw it at the wrong time and the wrong context, you know? Hey, to can re- I ask you a question? <laughs> what? It's just a real quick question. Uh, why do you hate joy? Like, <laughs> is joy like an enemy of yours? Um, I, I don't, I just don't understand. So. Well, you know, me and joy ask. have really never gotten along, you know? You know, I don't, I wouldn't say I hate joy, but you know, I would say we're frenemies. Maybe I don't know. I, 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 in all seriousness, I understand maybe this not, I know people who didn't like this movie. It's not like crazy. Uh, but I, I, I saw this in the theaters three times and every time it was with a crowd and every time everyone loved it and there was just something about it. So I do agree with you. I think missing that theater window and, and, and kind of missing that feeling and that vibe, because I know you, you love like a good vibes kind of movie and like seeing it with the crowd with that energy. I think it would have completely altered how you received the movie. Oh, 100%. 100%. I completely agree. And I, I liked the movie. Like I, I, I did. I liked it. I thought it was good. I enjoyed it, but it just didn't, it didn't hit home for me. I don't, I don't think I saw it in the right context, um, but it did win me over. You know, I don't know what it's Tom. It's fucking Tom Cruise and he flies a plane. Like, you know, that's enough right there. I agree that that's going to be enough 99% of the time. Right. Um, okay. So your number four, we've already discussed, but go ahead and say what it is. And uh, yeah, my and number yeah. four is hustle. You know, not much to say about it. We already talked about it. We did an episode on it and we talked about it earlier in this episode. Hustle's great. Adam Sandler basketball. Um, I loved it. I enjoyed that movie probably just as much as I enjoyed any other movie this year. Yeah. Well, it's funny because my next movie, same thing. We've already talked about it. We've already did an episode on it. But it's funny because Hustle was made in a lab for you, just like The Northman was made in a lab for me. 
Right, like, right, yeah. It's just one of those things where it's like, The Northman was my number one for months. Like, as soon as I walked out of the theater, I went and saw it again, obviously, a few days later, but I, I, I was like, that's my number one of the year. Like, it's fucking perfect. And then, you know, obviously, we'll get to our top two, but that kind of changed it. But anyway, The Northman, not much left to say, guys. We did an episode on it. It was, uh, it was lower on Jacob's list, so uh, we talked about it earlier, clearly, so... We can uh we can kind of move past that, but yeah, I, I love it. And like I said already, it's on Prime. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. And if you want to watch it again, it's free. So because most people have Prime. Yeah, huge recommendation for both Northman and Hustle. I think from both of us. Um, so now we're in the uh now now we were clearly in the top three, but my my third one was was something we already talked about. But yours, however, is is not. So tell us what your number three is, and let's discuss this movie a bit. Yeah, my number three, you know, I, I, my number three is Tar, first of all, you know, and I, I think I, there's a skepticism that I think comes with the end of the year for me, at least of like, okay, here's the movies that everybody is talking about and saying that they're good, right? And I remember thinking to myself, why can't Hustle be the number one movie of the year? You know, like, why, like, you know what I mean? Like, do I really have to bow down to the you know, to the movies at the end of the year that everybody, that everybody is saying is very good. And the answer is, yeah, sometimes when those movies are good, you know, and in this case, in this case, Tar, I I thought Tar lived up to the hype for me. You know, I I kind of had, I won't say mediocre expectations, but I was kind of like, come on, Todd Field, this movie can't be that good. It was, it was that good for me. If you don't know, which you guys know, Kate Blanchett, she plays a composer, you know, I have a couple things I really like about this movie. One of them is it seems to me to be a cinematic. Um, it's downstream of Uncut Gems, and I think is maybe uh, one of the first big kind of critically acclaimed movies that has the influence of something like Uncut Gems, simply because of the the tempo, the following one character around throughout the entire you know, entire running time of the movie, uh, the tempo and the, the, the increasing pressure on this one person. And, and, you know, it, and that's not a one-to-one and I'm not saying it's as good as uncut gems, but I, I just think there's a little bit of, I think of uncut gems never existed. This movie has a different tone to it. That's all I'm saying. But you know, a lot of hay has been made about the cancellation. She gets canceled and stuff in the movie. But what's really interesting, what I really loved is, yeah, she gets canceled and this is in many ways a tragedy. It, it's of her own making. You know, she is hubristic, right? Like one of my favorite scenes that, that a lot of people have talked about is the scene where she is teaching a master class to a group of students. And, you know, this kid is this kid is basically like a caricature of a kind of woke young student. He's like, Bach is a straight white man, you know, whatever. Now. I'm, I'm, this is not a quibble. This is not a quibble with the movie, but I don't think Juilliard students are really saying things like that. I don't think I could be wrong, but, and she like reads him the riot act, you know, and what she's saying isn't wrong. Right. But it's how she's saying it. It's the fact that she's pompous. She's not concerned with educating this kid, which is what she should be doing. She's concerned with making him look stupid. Right. Making him look um, ignorant, which is not her job in that situation. But she's too pompous. She's too hubristic to humble herself enough 
to teach somebody. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from experience here. I've been in both situations, um, the, the, in the student role and in the teacher role for situations very similar to those. And so that, that's just one small example. And, and yeah, I guess that's, um, I found it really compelling. I found it's her fall from grace that she 100% deserves, not because of any of the quote unquote cancelable actions that she did, because we never get to see any of that shit. It's implied, but we never get to see it. The reason that her downfall feels justified is because she's so pompous and so hubristic. And yeah, and the, and the Kate Blanchard performance. I mean, it's, it's so, it's so good. And it's just, it's very well done. I don't know. Those are all very basic observations about the movie. Nothing too deep. What did you think? Cause obviously you did not have, you did not like this movie nearly as much as I did or other people. Um, I think so. Yeah. What did, what, what was your perspective on this? I mean, first and foremost, I'll say this movie is uh, not quite my tempo. Uh, <laughs> I apologize for that joke. I was apologizing to you guys in my head before I made it. And I, I um, just want—I just want the listener to know that was a pity laugh. What I just did. <laughs> um, I, w- I want to be very clear about that. Uh, no, dude. I, you know, I, I'll say this first. I read some comparisons to Whiplash and that got me really excited because I think Whiplash is a perfect movie. I think Mm. it's phenomenal. And when I watched this, I was expecting that. Now, Kate Blanche's performance was great. I I, like I love it when anybody is like super arrogant to the point to where like they think they can't. They're untouchable kind of. Mm -hmm. And that's where this movie stays on the same level as Whiplash because her and J.K. Simmons had the same thing. He was obviously a bit more aggressive. Than she was but he, he, she she was still like i'm like i'm a badass you can't fuck with me and i i do agree with that classroom scene like it is that's this is not the internet it's a classroom like you're not some person on a message board you're a teacher right. like you can't you can't be doing that because it defeats the purpose of of, of your position but um, and that's her fatal flaw, right? Yeah. That, that that to me is her fatal flaw. It's the hubris. It's the the pomposity. It's not the cancelable shit because we don't even get to see any of that really, right? But but I, I did really love her character. And there is a scene in the movie that was very much like something that's happened to me before because uh, somebody was picking on my niece one time how she talked to that kid. And that was like almost exactly <laughs> how, how I talked to a kid who was who was picking on my niece. And that was hilarious to me because um, it's like, cause it's like, you She's can't like, do, I will fucking end you. Like, yeah, you can't do anything. Like I'm the adult. Like you can't be like, I, I clearly, I didn't go that aggressive with it, but, but Kate Blanchett was like, you can't, who the fuck are you going to tell? They're going to, I'm the adult. I'm going to be like, I never said that. It was fun. It was right. a great scene. It's like one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I just didn't like it as much, man. And it kind of pains me. Because I, I I always hate to disagree with with the great Martin Scorsese who said that the 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 clouds parted whenever he saw this movie and and I'm glad he liked it and I'm glad you liked it and and obviously it got a a lot of people loved it but yeah it just wasn't for me like I I enjoyed it but I'll, I'll never watch it again. I just want to point out a couple of a couple of things because you know we're probably we're not going to do an episode a separate episode on it but I just want to point out a couple of things that I really enjoyed. One of them is. Um, the movie is almost kind of like a rope-a-dope, right? Like for people like me, right? The opening scene is her giving an extended, uh, it's like a panel discussion, not even a panel discussion. It's just like an interview 
with a real New Yorker writer. I can't think of his name. And he's interviewing her about her life and her career. And this is such a great way to open the movie because it is the pinnacle of success for a lot of people. I'll just say like me, right? A lot of people like me. The pinnacle of success would be being interviewed by a writer from The New Yorker about your artistic output and about what a great artist you are and everybody's standing there hanging on your every word because you're a brilliant artist, right? This is, uh, you know, I'm no bones about it. I've, I've fantasized about this before in the past. If, if that ever happened to me, it would be one of the peaks of my creative uh, life, honestly. You know what I mean? It would, and it ropes you into thinking that because Kate Blanchett, because that character is in that place, because she has reached that kind of pinnacle of talking about art and people loving her and being fascinated by her and being so successful, it ropes you into thinking, well, then she must be a genius and a good person, right? She must be worth it. She must be worthy. This pomposity that we're, that we're seeing, she has earned this, right? She deserves all the accolades that she has gotten because how else would she have gotten there? And the big joke of the movie is that she doesn't deserve any of it, that she doesn't, she has not earned any of this pomposity or any of this, you know, that, that, that her, all of her move, even, even her move to, uh, with Nina Haas, uh, her relationship is transactional, right? It's all, it's all moving behind the scenes that none of this, and, and I guess, okay, that I'm talking myself into a good point here. <laughs> the, the the point of it is that this all of the shenanigans that she does the flying and the going to Paris and the the different apartments and the in the limo and the assistants and the New Yorker interview and all that shit all the album covers and all that not a single thing has to do with art not a single fucking thing has to do with that feeling you get when you are faced with an insurmountable work of art that your brain that that wrecks your brain and scrambles it and you can't see the world the same way again the sublime we call it right all of the shit that she does in the movie has nothing to do with that in fact we don't even get to see her create right whenever she is telling the um the orchestra what to do i think it's very important she's telling them in german and it's not subtitled. So we as an audience, we don't even get to see her do what she's good at. Right? We don't even have, we don't we don't have any evidence that she has any talent whatsoever. Right? And I think that is the grand joke of the movie, right? It's that she has been she has all these achievements and she's been, you know, um she's been lauded and all of this stuff and we have no evidence that she is talented at all. Right? We have no evidence for that. It has all of the shit in this movie, all of the shit that she does, none of it has anything to do with art. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's all backstabbing and political games and taking advantage of your position and, you know, mentorship and all of this it has nothing to do with art, it has nothing to do with the sublime. And I think that is the great triumph of this movie. And the fact that 
<laughs> that ending, man. I won't. Yeah, there are well, some people out there, I'm sure, who hadn't seen this movie, so I won't spoil the ending. But what an ending! Yeah, yeah. I don't want to spoil it either. But that that obviously favorite part of the movie, like far and away, like it was so unexpected and so yep. just awesome. So we're not going to spoil it. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. You will not be disappointed by the ending. That's that. That's a fact. Right. And and that's, that's what I love about the movie. It pulls, it pulls a couple of, it pulls a couple of tricks on you, you know? And, and it, it's like, this movie is about an artist and it's like, is it, is, is, is this movie about the pain of art? No whiplash is about the pain of art, right? We get to see Miles Teller character struggling, pushing to be great. We don't see that from her. We don't see her. We don't see her struggling to create. I mean, we see her, you know, hitting a few notes on a piano here and there, but we don't, we don't actually see the act of creation there. Well, I mean, that, I think that, that is the, that, that is what is, is this, it, the same th- kind of thread whiplash is pulling that this movie is as well. Cause with JK Simmons, like the whiplash is the, this is the, the useless pursuit of perfection by miles teller but Mm. we don't know i'm not a conductor you're not a conductor we don't know does jk simmons make these guys that good or does he is he such a piece of shit that he brings out the greatness that was already there and i know that's a useful tool in and of itself especially when you're looking at sports and things but in my opinion jk simmons and and blanchett like those characters are very very close in terms right. of like how great are either of you at the end of the day. Right. And yeah. And, and we'll think about her profession, right? Yeah. Think about her profession. Her profession is, it, it's not a composer. It's, I mean, we, we are, we are led to believe that she composes music, but we never really see it. Her main profession is a conductor is being a mouthpiece for artists that are way greater than her like Beethoven, Mozart, Brahms, you know, Mahler, on and on and on and on and on. So I think that's part of the genius of the movie too. It's that like her job isn't even to be an artist. It's to, it's to help other people experience the work of great artists. It's, I don't know. The movie's doing a lot of little trick, tricky things like that. And I got to say, I didn't think Todd Field had it in him. I liked in the bedroom as much as everybody else, but, Boy, oh, I was just deeply, deeply impressed by the depth of this movie and by the and like there was one time where like I was like, all right, this is going off the rails a little bit. And then she falls and just cracks her fucking face open. And I was like, all right, I'm back. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's just I don't know, man. I loved it. But anyways, that's enough. That's enough tar talk. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so guys go, you can go rent. It's, it's out on VOD now. So go check it out if you haven't, but it, it is, it is worth uh, the ending. So just, just ride the movie out. Even if you don't like it, the ending is, is just so fucking good. So yeah, it's great. But okay. So we got the final two. Uh, my number two is a movie you didn't like very much. Uh, Banshees of Inishirin. Uh This movie was almost my number one. And I kept going back and forth. We ended up with the same number one, which I find to be weird, uh, given how how different our lists are this year. But uh, yeah, I mean, we only had—I think we only had two, two of the same movies on our list, and and one of them was our number one. Yeah, so it's interesting. Anyway, Banshees of Inisherin, guys. I'm sure all of you are familiar with it, even if you hadn't seen it. Martin McDonough wrote and directed it. 
Brendan Gleeson, Colin Farrell play two best friends who have a falling out that we don't see. And uh, Brendan Gleeson just decides he no longer wants to be friends with somebody, with, 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 with Colin Farrell. Uh, it's an examination of the complexities of not just friendship, but male friendship. Uh, there's a couple of reasons this movie really hit it on the head for me. A, I, I enjoy movies about friendships, even if this one takes it in the direction it does. But I lived on a small island for a few years, and mm. this was very reminiscent of that time. It doesn't matter if it's 1920 or 2010. Uh, a small island is always the same. Uh, and and it really hit uh, on a bunch of that. And I just loved the performances. Barry Keoghan, uh, I cannot remember her. I think, I think it's, what is it? Kelly Condon? Is that, uh, I know her last Carrie name. Condon. Yeah, Carrie Condon. She was fantastic. My biggest complaint would be I wanted more of her. Uh, that scene between her and Barry Keoghan by the river my favorite, but probably my second favorite scene of the year behind Athena. Uh, I just, I don't know, man. I loved everything about it. I thought the vibe was, it was beautiful, you know, especially having just got back from Ireland. Uh, I, I don't know, man. There was, there was something about it. I've seen it a few times. I can understand why you didn't like it. I've watched it with a few people who did not like it. They told me it was dumb. They told me it was too sad. They told me it was a waste of time. I've heard all of it, but I love it. So I I don't know. Like that's, there's no case to be made with a movie like this. You're going to like it or you're not. It's just one of those movies. Yeah. But, you know, Banshees for me, I mean, I don't know. I'm glad you liked it because I know obviously you were looking forward to it. I mean, this shit is just too dark for me. I've, I mean, just being honest, like I know it sounds simplistic to say that. And, but you know, we all watch movies for different reasons. I mean, I'm like, I'm not interested in a breakup movie when I think that's how Martin McDonough has described it. Uh, a breakup movie. Yeah. Like a platonic movie. relationship breakup movie. Yeah. Right. Right. Like a male, male platonic relationship breakup movie. And like brother, if there was ever a movie that was not made for me, that's it. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I, I was kind of not biased against it, but like once I realized that's what was happening, I was just like, okay, like this is, there's not going to be any real redeeming, uh, there's not going to be any good vibes in this movie, I guess. It's kind of when I realized that I was like, oh boy, you know, and I, I'm not going to say it's badly constructed, but I think it's it, the way that it's constructed is just McDonough is up to something different, you know, and if people like the movies that he makes, then sure. Um, What do I know? I'm not making movies, you know, I'm I'm not about to probably win a screenplay award or something, you know, I'm sure he's going to be nominated for something like, so what do I know? But I just don't like movies like this. You know, it feels very, um, not stagey, but not, not visually stagey, but, but just narratively stagey, you know, it didn't really feel like we were going anywhere. And, um, well, yeah, to be fair, just, I think that's kind of the point though. Like, like that, sure. that, that's part of, that's part of what the movie is trying to say. That's part of Island living as well. Right, right. And I like I guess my my thing is it's just it, it's almost like this movie was made in a lab specifically not for me. You know what I mean? Cuz I was just like all of these it, it, this is a classic thing where like all of the features for you were bugs for me, you know. Um it it just uh it didn't resonate with me and I, honestly like I I found it really depressing and I was just like uh okay, that's 
So that's it, huh? Fantastic. You know. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I, like, I I think if people if you weren't prepared for what this movie was going to do in the bleakness that I would argue is also like very real. I don't feel it was contrived darkness. I feel it was very no. realistic darkness, which might be part of the problem for some people. So No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't think it's contrived. I, I think it is legitimately it's legitimately dark and depressing. Yeah. So um, yeah, I like I said, I get it, man. Like I just I loved it. I thought about it for for weeks after I saw it. It's um yeah, I don't know, man. I I there there's no winners, you know. Even even when you look at the great character that is the sister, there's just no, there's no winners. Like mm-hmm. yeah, and and yeah. So and I, as soon as I finished it, I was like, oh, of course, of course, I knew I knew you liked it, obviously. But like I knew, like okay, yeah, this is this is polar opposite. This is you know, if you want to know the differences in our taste in movies, all you have to do is watch that movie, you know, and you can understand it. Um, it was reminiscent, like, like the, the, our, our, our off podcast conversation about it was reminiscent of like Nightingale um, from, yeah, from Kent, yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's like, I, I thought that was a really, it was a devastating movie, but I thought it was really good and interesting and you hated it. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just some of those things. And I, and I know that about you. I know like some of those, like those ultra dark stuff really hits home for you. And for me, it's just like, I, uh, it's just a personality thing where I'm just like, dude, I, you got to give me some brother. You got to give me you, like, I thought it was going to be Colin Farrell and, and, uh, Brendan Gleeson hanging out. I, I, I thought it was going to be like, you know, a Hawksian hangout movie and boy, was I wrong. And so like, I was, you know, yeah. So well, I don't know. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And clearly a lot of people, you know, I, just like Tar, I'm in the minority here. Like a lot of people, it's getting a lot of love and probably going to win a couple of Oscars, you know? I'll say this, when you watch a lot of movies and you watch a lot of dark movies and you're a fan of these kind of bleak, dark movies in a non like gothy way, you just like the mm-hmm. examination of, of humanity and relationships. Thankfully, it's very easy to sniff out when a movie's trying too hard. Like, yeah. And, and this movie walked that line, but it stayed just enough in the realm of reality, especially with that ending which is just a punch in the stomach. Uh, It stayed in the realm of reality where it's like, no, this was how this was going to go. It's like, it's like, if you believe in destiny, that was your destiny. Like that was it. Right. So, uh, and I don't want to spoil the ending, but off pod, we had a conversation where I told you, like, obviously I'm not the only one thinking this, like the reason the ending was such a gut punch is because like of the story you can build for yourself from there. So, Mm -hmm. but anyway, no, i yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I, like I I think it I think it's certainly earned the uh, kind of darkness and dark examination. But like, man, not, you know, I'm not. I don't I don't need that. You know, like, <laughs> I got enough going on. You know, I don't I don't need an examination of a toxic friendship or whatever whatever you want to call it. Um, well, I'll tell you. Anyway, speaking of movies, uh, one of us is in the minority on. You're number two. I am way in the minority, including with a lot of previous guests we've had on here who were just gushing about this movie. Well, you know, my number two, I mean, you know, it's similar to the tar thing. Like I had heard nothing but great things about this movie. And so I just kind of had an inherent skepticism of like, okay, we'll see, you know, like we'll see, we'll see, we'll see how good this is. And then I was just an absolute mess after like this movie, (laughs) 
this movie destroyed me in a, in a good way. Um, like it's, you know, and if you, you probably know about after sun, it's um, Paul Mescal. I think is his name. Yeah. It's about him, him and his daughter. They're basically on vacation. And how would you describe, this is tough to describe. It's kind of impressionistic and kind of, but it's just, it's just about the stuff that happens and about the, her, her dad is, it's about a, a man and his daughter and the man is clearly dealing with some shit, right? And going through some things and, you know, we don't really ever find out. We don't really find out a lot of information about what he's going through, what kind of difficulties he's having. They just they just experience each other and have this, like, vacation and this trip. And then the whole movie is kind of like a, almost like a flashback, like a flashing back of this woman remembering this trip she had with her father and kind of unable to understand her father, right. And her inability to, you know, and I won't spoil the ending, which is not a narrative ending. It's, it's just a visual ending. Like it's, you know, it, it, but the inability to, to look back and to imagine, and you can create art about it. You can think about it. You can talk about it, about your parents and about, the relationships that you had with them and you can examine it. You can go to therapy to work it out, but you're never going to really get to the heart of it. You're never really at the end of the day, your dad, your mom, they're going to be unknowable figures that you're never really going to get down to the bottom of. Even if you can create art about it, you can deal with it in therapy or whatever. Um, Or maybe you just look back at it fondly. Right. You know, maybe it's not all tears and misery, but you're never going to be able to get to the bottom of it. You're never going to be able to commune with them because, you know, they're, they're different people. And for some of us, they're gone, you know, and like I said, in the, in the early part of the episode, my mom died this year, you know, and my dad's been dead for, I don't know, six or seven years now. And this hit me like a ton of fucking bricks. And, um, yeah, so that's, I don't know. That's after sun for me. What about you? You, you're, you're definitely in the minority here. So what, I know you were looking forward to this movie too, right? I was pumped for this movie for, for months waiting for this movie to hit VOD, had the chance to go see it on the big screen in Ireland, but schedule was interrupted and get, didn't get to do that. Unfortunately. Um, Ooh, that would have been kind of, that would have been kind of on theme. Yeah. Yeah. Would have, uh, yeah, this movie didn't strike any of those chords with me. I'm not going to say like I hated it, but I, I, it's not for me. Like it's, uh, there, there was nothing emotional for it from, from, from me, uh, dealing with its subject matter and whatnot. And, and I really enjoyed the performances. That's my favorite thing. The performances were fantastic. The little girl did a great job. Paul Mescal did a great job. Uh, I, I really enjoyed their performances, but overall this movie, yeah, it wasn't for me. I think um I think after three years of doing a podcast together, I think I'm learning uh, something about you maybe for the first time. But this is um you know after Sun, it, I was just thinking about the similarities between a movie like this and like Tree of Life, and like it's kind of dawning on me that it seems like you prefer direct examinations of relationships as opposed to a kind of oblique impressionistic ones like tree of life or like after sun. Does that sound like a fair characterization? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I do prefer like, if we're talking about like the, the, the thematics that these movies are dealing with, like I do prefer more of a, of a kind of a straight shot 
look at it right. opposed to like like a direct like a direct engagement yeah. direct narrative opposed to like something a-, a bit more surreal or like what or like what he did with like tree of life for instance right right okay yeah no that's um yeah that 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 makes sense yeah i mean i don't i don't have a lot more to say about after sun this movie this is a, this is her first movie the director all right, this is a miracle of a first movie. I don't know how someone makes something this accomplished and this lived in and this emotionally, um, I don't know, emotionally resonant. I loved it so much. So yeah, but that, that's, that's all I really have to say about it. Yeah, you know, and I'm in the minority and I totally get that. So guys, don't not like, you know, watch the movie. If you've been on the fence about it, I think it definitely deserves a watch. It's one of those movies that's in the conversation and, and, I do think it uh, it should be watched. It just wasn't for me, but it definitely has been striking a chord with a lot of people, obviously including you. So mm, definitely. But guys, we know this has been a supersized episode, but we have reached the end of it. Uh, the uh, you know it's fun when I listen to list episodes. I always try to guess what the movie is. I mm. uh, I always like, especially if I'm listening to somebody and they're like, you know, oh our number one, and they'll, they'll reference it a few times, and I'm like, oh, what could it be? So I don't know if our listeners are doing the same, but uh, obviously I'm sure you guys have noticed one movie that's been suspiciously missing from both of our list. If you have, well, would you well, hold on? Would you like to guess what your number one is? Uh, it's going to be tough, but I think I can take a shot at it. But I'm I'm okay, I'm going to I'm going to guess your number one too. So okay, uh, all right, take a shot at it. Yeah. So our number one, The Fablemans, Steven Spielberg's live autopsy of his life. Uh, <laughs> I. I do think people have the wrong idea about this movie in terms of, oh, we're going to get to see how Stephen King fell in love with cinema and how it's and how it, it shaped his life. Stephen King? Oh, I don't know why I just said Stephen King. I'm sorry. Steven Spielberg, <laughs> how he fell in love with cinema, how it shaped his life and all that. And that's not what you get. You get some of that, but mostly you get an, an exploration of a young man dealing with a lot of shit. And then you look at how it mirrored Steven Spielberg's life as he got older and dealing with his own marriage and his own children. And, uh, this movie is nothing short of masterful. It, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the best movie of the year. My opinion, hands down cannot be compared to anything else out there. So, and I clearly, I think you agree. So, you know, obviously I'm sure there are different, you know, they're going to be quibbles over. Well, I guess what I was going to say is I was getting ahead of myself. Uh, to me, this is this is Spielberg's Irishman. This is this is a late career masterpiece um, that puts into context his entire career and maybe even maybe even retroactively uh, explain some things or. Yeah, this is, I, I think this is everyone, which is, I, I'm sure there are quibbles. Like, this isn't as good as the Irishman. Spielberg isn't Scorsese, whatever, whatever. That's not what I'm saying. Um, my point is, this is a late career masterpiece similar to the Irishman. I would even put, um, I would also put Richard Jewell up there for Clint. You know, um, these are late career masterpieces where it's like, oh, this guy still has his 102 mile an hour fastball, Right. I didn't know that <laughs> you'll, you'll have to excuse me, Steve. I didn't know that uh, from ready player one. I didn't know you were still capable of operating at peak powers. Um, and 
You know, what to say about the Fablemans? I mean, I, I, I do think th- there is this impression of um, of that this is, the, yeah, you're right, that this is the happy-go-lucky Spielberg porn, you know, like, oh, it's all, everything's so sappy and whatever. But I think I think Spielberg's movies in general get a bad rap for that. They don't get a bad rap for how lonely they are oftentimes and how not cynical, but just dark they are. You know, you go back and watch E.T. E.T. is not a cheerful, cheerful kids movie with a funny alien. Those kids are lonely. Those kids are lonely, divorced kids who are having difficulties. And, you know, you can you can go through his filmography. Obviously, stuff like Jurassic Park is not going to bring out, you know, that same level of darkness or whatever. Close Encounters is a movie about a man who abandons his fucking family. Right. Like this is not this kind of quote unquote darkness is not unique in Spielberg's filmography. And he, he gets a bad reputation for that. And I think it's unwarranted. And Fableman's is a perfect example. I mean, this is this is how Spielberg began his life in the movies and on and on and on. This is also a really dark examination of of what it what kind of life it what kind of life births someone who is this good at movies, right? Someone who has reached the height of the medium, who has all of his dreams come true, you know, um, what kind of life begets that type of person, that type of artist? And the answer is a very complicated one. I mean, his wife, his wife, his mom is essentially a manic depressive and it's tough. It's tough. And we see, I mean, I don't know. What what are some of the things you wanted to bring up? Because this movie, I feel like I could, I feel like I could write a dissertation on this movie. I mean, what are some of the specific scenes or moments or something that really stood out to you? Well, I am, first off, I'll say I'm annoyed that the kid that played him isn't getting any awards push whatsoever. Because hmm, he was play right. he was played by obviously two different kids and, and, I'm talking about the one that played him for the bulk of the movie. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. That kid, huge shout out um, to him. I had never seen him in anything as far as I know. So anyway, he was great. Um, there were a few different scenes that stand out to me. Like I think the top three scenes of the movie that I really enjoyed that each did something different when the mother is dancing in front of the, in front of the headlights. Um, it's fantastic in terms of what, how Spielberg is using the camera in several different ways in that moment. And then you Mm -hmm. have the scene where he shows his mother, once again, what the camera exposed is her affair with her, 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 you know, the the close friend of the family. And Mm -hmm. then the best scene in the whole fucking movie, and in my opinion, the best scene Spielberg has directed in 20 plus years is the prom scene. The entire last uh, 30 minutes of this movie are genius. Like I, I will argue with anybody about that. The, the hallway scene where the jock breaks down crying and, and basically acts as a surrogate for the audience saying like, why did you make me feel this way? Like, I don't know what to do with these feelings. And he's like, I didn't do anything. The camera did it. The camera you, you, the camera just saw what you are. And if you can't handle that, I'm sorry. But like that, that's what it's doing. And it's just, I, I, I don't know, man. 
this movie did so many things on so many different levels that I I am I've never been the biggest Spielberg fan. I clearly understand what he represents and I understand how much of an influence he has had on modern cinema. But um I, I to make a movie this deep and this contemplative uh I was I was just blown I was mesmerized. I was mesmerized walking out of the theater. I want to draw a link kind of between those three scenes and I think the the standout scenes that you're referring to, I think they all have to do with this young boy understanding the power of the camera, right? Because this is, this is okay, portrait of the artist as a young man, right? That's what this is. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty, that's a pretty standard narrative, right? In movies, books, TV shows, whatever, which is, you know, which is, okay, there's a young guy, you know, most of the time it's a guy, you know, unfortunately, but there's a young artist or there's a young person who uh, discovers that they are good at something and that they like something or or that they like something and that they're good at it. And that is a pretty common narrative trope, right? Like in my own personal life, it would have been like, oh, I'm for some reason, I'm good at writing. And then you discover that. And it's like, okay, well, now what do I do? Right. And then that, by that point, the narrative is over. Right. But, but this is really interesting because him, the kid liking movies and wanting to make movies is almost beside the point. Right. He, he just picks up a camera and wants to make movies. The point is, okay, well, now what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this weapon that you have, this camera? Because this camera is very, very powerful. This camera can reveal to you that your mother is in love with another man. This camera can predict the future that your that your 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 parents will split up eventually. You know, this camera can make your high school bully look like, you know, Humphrey Bogart or Cary Grant on the big screen, right? It can make him into a movie star. You know, this camera is a very, very powerful tool. And the, the in many ways, the story of humanity over the past, you know, 15 or 20 years or so has been the democratization of this camera, right? Every, now everybody's got one. Everybody's got one and it's really good, you know, and but that that's that wasn't always the case. And so I think that's a lot of the movie is Spielberg reckoning with the power of the medium of cinema and the power of being the person with the camera. What does that mean that you want to be the person with the camera? That means you want control. It means you want to control what people see. It means you want to control what you see through the viewfinder of the camera, right? That's what this movie is about. What type of person wants to be a film director? What type of person wants to make movies? And then once you do begin to make the movies, how do you deal with the consequences of that? Steven Spielberg is just a guy. He, he just is a, he's just a guy, right? Just some Jewish kid who grew up in California and he has shaped the childhood dreams and visions of an entire generation of, of people. He's just a fucking guy. Right? Like that is an insane responsibility to have. And 
this movie deals with all of that. It deals with every single bit of it. It is like an, like you said, it's an autopsy where he cuts his fucking veins open and allows everybody else to see what's going on inside of that Spielberg head in a way that he's never, never acknowledged before. And that's, dude, if that's not the movie of the year, I don't know what is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's honestly like a peek into greatness, but except he's not afraid to get his hands dirty. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that's the biggest thing about this movie that I feel like a lot of people kind of got wrong, especially all the preconceived notions that were made about this movie before people even saw it. That was driving yeah. me insane because it's like, yeah. we don't even know what he's doing yet. Like, let's just mm-hmm. see. And then he did something that is a work of genius. So I have no complaints about this movie. It was, uh, it was fantastic. And, I, and I'm glad that he made it and I'm glad we got to see it. And if you have not seen it, I, I, I urge you guys to, to seek it out. It's on VOD now. I, um, I would love to get deeper into some scenes, but I don't really want to spoil anything like in terms of, Right. The actual moments and things that happen, like the, the way it unfolds is just beautiful. Yeah, it's I mean, it's filled to the brim with all of these just incredible moments that really, um, you know, I mean, when, when, it, when his parents are arguing, he deals with it by going to his room and looking through the camera and editing the movie. I mean, dude, I don't know. Do I even need to spell that out? You know what I mean? Like he doesn't like reality. So he goes and creates his own, which is what editing is, you know, creating your own reality, basically. Like there's so many moments like that, that are just, you know, and, and like the, when, when the little girl, um, who I think is the little girl in, in, uh, in the Tarantino movie, right. Once yeah. upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah, she is. Um, she she's like mom you know you can see through your dress or whatever and like it's such a great moment because she's a little kid and she's embarrassed and she's like mom you can you know you can see through your dress you know that's like inappropriate or whatever she's not getting it and meanwhile her son and her husband and the man that she's in love with are all looking at her with absolute rapture you know for completely different reasons you know it, it really is a fascinating it's like every scene has a million different threads you can pull and examine and think about. I mean, this is, this is one of our, this is one of cinema's greatest geniuses operating at the highest level. That's why I said, this is Scorsese. This is just like the Irishman, right? It is, it is. Oh shit. I didn't know you still had your fastball. Well, here we fucking go then, you know? Yeah. That's, I don't know. I'll shut up about it. Cause yeah, we don't want to spoil anything. And obviously we've talked long enough. What a great movie, man. And I, I think it's very telling that for both of our completely separate sensibilities, this movie was on both of our lists, but it was also both of our number one movies. That's really unlikely. And I think it just shows like, man, this is this is a really, really we are privileged to be able to get something like this out of one of cinema's real, true, great artists. It, it, this is a miracle of a movie, and I'm so glad that we have it. And I'm so glad it'll forever be in Spielberg's filmography um, forever now. I mean, it, it, it'll just be, it's fantastic. So, Well, that's 2022, guys. That's our top 10. Reach out. Let us know what your top 10 are. Let us know what your favorite movies are, even if you didn't make a list. And uh, if you think our lists are dumb, hey, reach out and tell us. We'd like to know. Uh, anyway, I think that's... Reach out and tell us, and then fuck off. <laughs> 
I think that's it, man. I think we did it justice. Do you got anything to add before we get out of here? Nah, man, let's wrap it up. We've, uh, I think we've, we've, we've hit the, uh, we've beaten the dead horse of 2022 and it, it shall not rise again. Now, 2023, I'm already building my list. Anyway, here we go. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully neither of us make it to the end of the year. Uh, speak for yourself. Don't throw me in that. Uh, oh, okay. anyway, yeah. guys, please rate and review wherever you listen. Help us share this episode as well. Uh, it's a huge help. And, you know, it's for the algorithm we all serve. So anyway, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you next week at the Silver Screen video. Yeah.